you're a person of principle. Talk about the struggle as you were going through that uh, in your own mind. Well, one, and it's hard to talk about is, is the kids itself losing my football team. I've been with these kids. I, that was my eighth year of coaching. So I've had these kids since they were peewees, you know, they were in grade school and now here they are graduating from high school. So these kids and their brothers and their little brothers, these families are all part of, of our community. And we were so tight. I mean, I love these kids. I love their parents. I loved everything about being a coach. That's what my joy was in the getting up in the morning and going to work. I knew I'd be able to go step on a football field and help these men become better young men. So this was the hardest thing to actually lose 60 kids in one fell swoop of having to make that decision of which way do I go? Do I choose my faith or the job that I love? Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. Well, thanks for being with us for another episode of American Potential. You know, one of the things I love talking about is free speech. We don't do it enough. We need to do more episodes on free speech. Free speech and freedom of religion has been in the headlines a lot recently because of the 303 Creative Supreme Court case to multiple congressional hearings that we've had and just in general what you see on the nightly news. Now today we're going to talk to someone who is the plaintiff in a case that made it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court last year. And as far as I'm concerned, our guest today is an American hero. Every day in America, free speech is threatened by government action. And most people While they may not think that it's right, they don't do much about it. But the freedoms in the Bill of Rights survive because patriots see a wrong being committed by the government and they take action, sometimes at great peril to themselves. However, we owe a debt of gratitude to those citizens who see an injustice, a violation of their rights, And they decide to fight. They fight to restore their rights, but they also fight to protect the rights of each and every citizen in America. Coach Joe Kennedy, who is a Marine veteran and was an assistant coach for the Bremerton High School varsity football team, was fired from his job for expressing his First Amendment right of free speech. By taking a knee and saying a silent prayer after every game. Now, Coach Kennedy did this because he had made a promise to God that he would thank God for the opportunity to be a part of the players' lives and for what they had accomplished on the field. That's a wonderful and kind gesture that all of us should see as a moment of free expression of his faith. He forced no one to pray. He never asked any of the players to join him. But after watching their coach say a silent post-game prayer, they asked if they could join. He told them, it's a free country, so you can join or not. Now, eventually, the players asked if they could invite players from the other team, and he told them it was up to them 
if they wanted to invite them or not. The school district asked him to stop because as an employee of the school, they saw this as speech they could regulate. And he was given alternative locations to say his post-game prayer, such as a janitor's closet in the school or the press box. But everybody in there, uh, in that press box, they'd have to leave. Neither of these locations would work because it would take time away from his duties as a coach. So he had agreed to stop praying with his players, but not to stop doing a post-game prayer. Because of this, he lost his job. So like any good patriot would, he sued the school district because they were trying to regulate his free speech. Now, the case eventually made its way to the Supreme Court. And on June 27th, 2022, the Supreme Court ruled six to three in favor of Coach Kennedy. The ruling shows that the government can only regulate very little of its employee speech. From a coach's prayer to a professor's controversial views, our founders intended speech to be protected from government regulation. This is one of the greatest tenets of our Bill of Rights and a core freedom that many Americans take for granted, but not my guest today. He didn't take it for granted. I want to welcome Coach Joe Kennedy to the show to talk about why fighting for free speech is so important. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I mean, I really mean it. You are a hero to me. And frankly, you're a hero to, to any American who values free speech because this could have happened to a lot of people. And they would have simply said, oh, well, you know, what do I do? I'm not going to lose my job. I'm not going to I'm not going to risk uh, these sorts of things. You didn't do that. You stood up not only for your free speech, but for the free speech rights of every American. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely. We'd do it again in a heartbeat. Don't want to, but absolutely would. Well, listen, first of all, I, I, Monica, who did the, the pre-show interviews, told me this. When you were nine, when you were nine years old, you proposed to your wife and she told you no that time. But later, she, tell me about that story. I have to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, she just moved into the neighborhood and, and one of my foster brothers said a new girl moved into the neighborhoods and she was so beautiful. So, of course, I had to go check her out. I walked up to her. <laughs> she was sitting on the front step of her house. I walked up and she looked at me. And with those big brown eyes, and I, I was I, I was just smitten. I just sat there looking like an idiot with my mouth wide open. And she said, can I help you? And I said, well, yeah, I want to marry you. And she <laughs> thought I was pretty creepy and went in the house and <laughs> called her mom. And I took off running. But that was the first time my, my brother and I got in a, a fight over who was going to marry her. And uh, I won that fight. And then 31 years later, I won finally overall. And she agreed to marry me. Oh, that's what a great story. Yeah, that's I wouldn't I wouldn't advise that to my nine year old uh, that that be his pickup, his first pickup line. But, you know, it worked for you, Joe. What can I say? Right. Yeah, it just took it was a delayed thing. I had to uh, I'm an acquired taste. It took a while. <laughs> You're an acquired taste. I love it. So tell me a little bit about your life story uh, and, and kind of how you got into coaching. It was actually by a fluke. I, I really had no desire to be a coach. I just got out of the military 
Um, I was that kid that was always in trouble and I knew I needed something in my life. So I joined the military because life was not going the way I had planned. It, I was in and out of the group homes and foster homes and boys homes. And the, the Marine Corps seemed like the perfect place to put my my aggression and my anger and everything into so I could fight for my country. And I found my first love. Well, well, I would say my second love, but for love for my country. My first love, obviously, was for my my wife um, at the time. And then it was for for the Marine Corps and for the, you know, the, for the Constitution. And after I got out of the Marine Corps, it, it just kind of happened that I, I dedicated my life to God. I get, I totally submitted and I, he called me to be a coach. Everybody wonders what it's like to, to have your calling or you might hear, you know, do you know what your calling is? This is the first time in my life I actually knew and heard what it was. And just like in the movie Facing the Giants that I was watching over the weekend, uh, it, it just hit me. It absolutely just laid me on my on the floor i was crying in my in the middle of my living room i hate to say that as a marine but yeah i mean god answered that question and i i said fine i i'm in i will give the glory after every game win or lose and this is a guy who doesn't know anything about football i i i'm not an offensive guy i'm not a defensive guy the x's and o's is kind of a foreign territory to me so uh, my whole thing was was bringing um, discipline, uh, team building and, you know, getting the most out of those young men. So now, did you always have strong faith in God or growing oh, up, you didn't have that? No, I didn't. Uh, I, I was a true heathen. I really especially while I was in the Marines, uh, when I was a kid I in the boys home. I, I dabbled a little bit with uh, the thought of God, and I thought it was cool when you're surrounded by fellow people, fellow believers. But when I got into the Marine Corps, I thought it sounded like a nice fairy tale. So I went 20 years without even get, giving God a first thought. I, I just thought that, you know, that's what people talk to and, and, and say, oh, yeah, you'll go to heaven when you die. It, it sounds like a nice thing. But it wasn't until I when I was retiring from the Marine Corps, my wife got me to go to church and. One thing led to another. I was failing as a as a husband. I didn't know what to do. Wives don't come without user manual. I was in my this was my third marriage and this was like my first love and I wanted her to be my last love. So I, I, I had nowhere else to turn. I was failing miserably as a husband and I, I submitted to God. I said, if you give me my wife, I would give you my life. And that's the way it all started with uh, um, my relationship with the Lord. So uh, let's go back just a little bit. You mentioned uh, the boys' home. So so talk about that. I mean, you didn't have a traditional upbringing either, correct? No, I was uh, I was an unwanted pregnancy, and I was adopted by a Catholic family who couldn't have kids. And then miracles, science, um, and probably God, it, they started having kids like crazy, and they didn't need us anymore. And I was basically kicked out of the house. I was the one wow. always fighting and stealing and running away. I, I got expelled from every school in, uh, I don't know, probably 100 miles of, of Bremerton here. And uh, the boys' home was one of the places that I ended up going to right before you go to juvenile detention or go to jail. And I was in there with, I, I don't know, probably 30, 40 other guys that were all troublemakers that were looking at the same, same kind of life. So, I mean, as you look back on it, how did you go from that person to being a person who would stand up for both religious freedom, freedom of speech, 
and 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 be a person of such conviction that you you weren't going to be intimidated by your employer or by government with regard to this post game prayer. I, that, that's a fascinating story. What is it? What what is it that made you take that stand and maybe talk about the journey from being that 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 young boy all the way through the Marine Corps uh, to where you where you made this decision? Yeah, I so uh, and there's no way to possibly tell you how bad I was as a kid. I, I was horrible and I was horrible to my parents and they did the best they could, but I was just way out of control. I needed so much discipline in my life. And when I was kicked out of the house and when I was homeless and I, I was at boys' homes and foster homes, I, I had to be tough. You know, Bremerton's a blue collar town. It's, it's not the friendliest place to live on the streets. And so anybody who lives that kind of life, you kind of have to be tough. And I was, I, I like to think that I was tough and, and I was always fighting it. And sometimes it was just for a meal or sometimes it was just for your very survival, but you just always fought. And when joining the Marine Corps, it just made absolutely perfect sense to be able to go in and, hey, I could get paid to go fight. This sounds perfect for me. And I didn't realize that, it, you know, that. Uh, God's fingerprints were all over this. So from the very beginning when I was born of being unwanted all the way through grade school and having nuns telling me that the only thing I bring to society is pain. And, you know, those things really lay onto your heart. And I wanted to become something more than my my surroundings. I, I didn't want to be a victim of my environment. I saw too many people that blame their upbringing for the troubles that they have. And I wanted to prove everybody wrong. I wanted to show that I could be something and I could stand for something more than myself. And that's what I found in, in serving our country. And it wasn't until after I got out of the core and I, you know, when we take that oath of enlistment, it, it really meant something to me. I, mean, I love how it gives me the, the chills. It makes my hair stand up on end when you raise your right hand and you say, I'm going to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Well, I had no idea that I would be doing this years later as a civilian. It made sense as a Marine, but it made absolutely no sense to do it as a civilian. But that was my calling. And it, my whole entire life of fighting and boxing and wrestling and martial arts and all the things that I've done in my life actually led me up to the moment where I had to choose between my faith and my job. And no American should ever be faced with that. So, I, of course, I had to stand up. It would have been so easy to back down. I really wanted to. I was kind of weak in the flesh and I wanted to not go or not go into this fight. These people are my friends. We've been working together for a decade. And my wife was an employee of the, of the school district. So this brought a lot of stuff real close to home. And we had two kids in the high school. So this wasn't an easy decision for me. This was, this was something that was really tough on myself and my family. Yeah. I, and there's so many questions I have for you, but I think, I think this is an important one. I'm a person of faith. I, I'm a Christian and, I, and I'm a person of faith, but there's a lot of people who are listening who may not uh, be people of faith. Why is prayer so important to you as a coach? I really wanted to be grateful and, and have where my word is my bond. I wanted to set that example for all my players that when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And if I didn't have my, my word with God, if, if I didn't hold myself true to that, I mean, what, would, what could I be true to? 
I would fail as a husband. I'd fail as an American. I would fail. I, there's no way I can look in, in the eyes of every one of my players if I back down. Giving thanks is the only way that I can repay for the opportunities I've been given in my life and to be grateful of living in this nation. If people have never been overseas and see that the, how the world is, people live in the, in the world and how dark and how sad it is out there. I mean, we're a bunch of spoiled babies here in America, but to, you know, not being able to, to say thank you and be grateful, we're, miss, we're really missing the boat. So, yeah, I absolutely had to stand up for my faith and, and stand up for every American that, that could be faced with this kind of decision. Was there a moment that, that you remember that you just decided, that's it, uh, that, that they've pushed me too far, I have to take a stand? Yes. Right before the game, they, they kept giving me the letters of directions of telling me just, you know, you could pray while you're on duty as long as it doesn't interfere with your job duties. Well, that was no problem. And like you said, they they said, uh, just stop praying with the kids and everything will be fine. It was when they said you have to choose between your prayer and your job because I was going to be suspended until I complied with the school district's uh, directives. That was a line that I could not cross. And I was sitting in front of all my players and one of my team captains looked up at me while they were all sitting in front of me. And they, one of them, the, my, uh, one of my team captains looked at me and said, coach, can't you just give in and, and, and just stay our coach? And I, I knew at that exact moment, yes, I need to stand up because it would have been easier. It would have been probably better for everybody on the team. And, uh, for the school district and everything else, if I would have just given in, that's the easy way to go. But I tell these guys, uh, you know, on Friday nights, if I ask them to go out there with a broken hand, they're going to do it. These guys are going to give 100 percent. And now all of a sudden, because I'm faced with something that's going to be difficult and it's going to cause me a little discomfort and pain, I'm going to stop. I, what kind of example would I would set? And I knew just at that second, I was like, I, I have to go through with this. I, I that's it. No, no, no other questions asked, nor nothing else required. It was boom. That was the decision. Yeah. You talked a little bit about this, but I, I want folks maybe to understand the probably the agony of of this. I mean, you knew what was the right thing to do. And every, every person, every human has this moment, uh, many of them in their life where they know what the right decision is, but there's there's lots of things stacking the other way and telling them to do something different. Talk, talk about that process. Like you, you talked about, you know, these folks, other coaches were your friends. You had kids in the school district. Your wife worked for the school district. This was a very difficult decision for you to make, but I'm sure at, at its core, it kind of also wasn't a difficult decision because you're, you're a person of principle. Talk about the struggle as, as you were going through that. Uh, in your own mind? Well, one, it, and it's hard to talk about is is the kids itself, losing my football team. I've been with these kids. I, that was my eighth year of coaching. So I've had these kids since they were peewees. You know, they were in grade school and now here they are graduating from high school. So these kids and their brothers and their little brothers, these families are all part of, of our community. And we were so tight. I mean, I love these kids. I love their parents. I loved everything about being a coach. That's what my joy was in the getting up in the morning and going to work. I knew I'd be able to go step on a football field and help these men become better young men. 
So this was the hardest thing to actually lose 60 kids in one fell swoop of having to make that decision of which way do I go? Do I choose my faith or the job that I love? And then on the personal side of, of my family, not only were my, like I said, that my two kids in the high school, but my wife, she was the HR director for the school district. And if you can imagine, wow. HR does all the hiring and firing of, of employees. So this hit so close to home and this caused my wife so much pain and suffering. I thought we were going to get a divorce over this. We came to the point where I was actually walking out of my house because I was hurting the, the woman I love more than anything. And I had no idea of how to explain to her why I needed to do this. I, how do you explain? This is my calling. This is what I was, I, I've been called to do. This is the way that my life has been directed and God has asked me to stand. So what am I going to do? And I can't just sit there and tell her, well, God asked me to because you know, that almost sounds a little bit crazy when you say it that way. <laughs> sure. But how how else do you explain it that to be in this kind of situation? And yeah. it was that was the toughest thing is, is dealing with her and and her. She was stuck on this island all alone at work because she was everybody looked at her differently after that. And it, it was tough for her. It was way tougher on her than it was for me. Yeah, well, I, and I'm thinking through, you know, there's lots of people who just, this is too high of a price for them to pay. I'm sure for many of her coworkers, for many of your coworkers, this was too high of a price for them to pay. They wouldn't pay it personally. Thank, thank God, thank goodness that you were willing to pay it. Thank every American should be thankful that you were willing to pay it. But for many people, maybe for most people, this is not something that they would do. I mean, I'm sure you found that. Right. Not only was it just my, my family and all, all my friends around here that thought it was crazy to do this, to give up everything, but also it, the superintendent of the school, he went to the same church as I did. And I, I can't imagine that what the grief he had to go through with his kids, explaining to them why, why he was firing me for praying when they go to church and they pray themselves. Yeah. But this guy, you know, he spent 37 years becoming the pinnacle of, of his profession. And to give that up over an assistant coach on a football team. Yeah, I, I understand why most Americans could not do this. And and that's the reason why they're, I think God made Marines and he made me the way that he made me is because people need to. We need to have fighters. We need to have people that can stand up for people who cannot stand up. Mm -hmm. And I will take the shots. I mean, look at this face. It's taken quite a few shots in its time. <laughs> and, you know, I, I will always be there to, to stand up for everybody's rights, because I know there's millions of Americans that have stood beside me. They, they've prayed for me. They've encouraged myself and my family. And they've been behind me 100% on this. So that's the thing that kept me going. And, and I knew I was doing the right thing just because most people can't and shouldn't ever have to do this. You know, it, it struck me as I was doing the intro that they, they wanted you to go. They said, well, you can go into a janitor's closet to pray. <laughs> and, and I just think about that. I mean, that is... The the reason the First Amendment exists in America is so that we don't have to go into a janitor's closet to pray. We can pray where we choose to pray, uh, and 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 we can have speech where we choose to speak. And government, uh, you know, free from government interference. But they literally wanted to force you, and it, it just sort of surprises me that they're 
Their legal team never saw that as a violation of your First Amendment rights. Um, I, I mean, isn't that, does that strike you that they wanted to shove you and your faith and your free speech into a closet? Yeah, I, I can never wrap my brain around that. You know, as as a Christian, as a believer in God, I I really it, it didn't matter where I prayed. I could pray anywhere. But it was the Marine and the American in me that said, you know, it, that's the truth. It doesn't matter. You know, you hear the separation of church and state. You hear that you got we've removed God from our classrooms and we've removed prayer from our classrooms and you can't have that in in public. Well, I'm sorry, I'm part of the public and I have just as much rights as anybody else. You hear about all the diversity, equity and inclusion. Well, that includes everybody. That's what that means. That nobody's special. Everybody is exactly the same. So you just the same as telling somebody they, they have to hide because of their orientation or something. We, we've been trained in, in society to stand up for everyone and their rights. Well, why aren't we still doing that for our God-given rights? Not right. just the ones that have come in the past five, ten years that are trendy. We're talking about the ones that we were born with. These are the rights that all Americans have. All men were created equal. So all these nonsense things just drive me nuts. And for what kind of message would that have sent my players that, oh, well, you should have to hide if you're saying a prayer. Like there's something wrong with it. Like I'm doing a bad thing. You should hide that. That that sends the wrong message for what I was trying to teach my men of trying to be good citizens. Yeah. Wow. So your your case went to the U.S. Supreme Court. And on June 27th of uh, 2022, you won your Supreme Court case. Walk us through that day. Did you know that that was the day the opinion was going to be released or you kind of knew you obviously you knew it was coming soon? How, How did that day go? No, I flew up from I was living in Pensacola with my wife and my father in law and I said, you know, it's got to be coming up. There's only I think there was only three, uh, three or four cases left that were out there for the Supreme Court to to rule on. And I I flew up to Dallas with my uh, Plano, Texas, to be with my attorneys so they could explain to me if I won or lost and to wait for that decision. And Dobbs came out first, which really floored everybody because we really believed that that was going to be the one that they were going to go on their break. It dropped the Dobbs and and peace out. You know, Roe versus Wade <laughs> was huge. Right. But that came out as a blessing. It came out the week before. So actually, we had something of good news because somehow the Americans thought that the that one was such a bad thing. Well, this is good news. This means that everybody has their free rights. So when that decision came down, I just looked at my attorneys like, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? And they were shushing me so they could read as fast <laughs> as they could. And they said, we won six, three. That's all you need to know. And I'm, we didn't even get to have a, a celebration over that because we went right to the news channels and we did, I think it was 84 interviews that week wow. alone. Wow. Wow. And then I flew back so I could have dinner with my wife and actually celebrate in in silence and in, uh, and in peace. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be an amazing feeling. Um, and, and as you walk through that, I mean, uh, let's walk through that a little bit. I mean, when, when this all came up, how did you get hooked up with your attorneys? Uh, did I assume some big 
uh, uh, firms and attorneys stepped forward and helped on this case. Is that right? Yes. And when it first started, I got a, a barrage. I, the media was calling uh, from people from all the churches, people that hated me. I was getting calls left and right, and I was not taking any calls. I, I believe I got a call from a guy named Jay Seculo, and I had no interest in talking to anybody, so I hung up on him. <laughs> and it was because, and, and God just is, he's got just a weird sense of humor. And I don't believe in coincidences at all. But one of the coaches that I coached with went to high school and played football with a guy who just happened to become an attorney. So he called me and said, hey, I just understand you're going through some stuff legally. Um, oh, I'm at a, at a law conference with guys that all they do is, is religious liberty. And he said, would you be willing to talk to them? Well, since he was a friend of a friend and a Bremerton Knight, of course I would talk to him. And that's how it all started. So God lined all those things up that this guy just happened to be at a conference sitting next to the guys who do this. So all the the stars aligned for that and they called me up and it was funny because they asked me, the first question was, are you one of those religious whack jobs? I just started laughing. I'm like, no, um, if that's the guy you're looking for, you got the wrong guy because I don't even know the Bible. Uh, you know, I, I, I love God and I love others and I suck at that every day. I'm probably the worst Christian out there. So I might not be the guy you're looking for. And it just worked out perfectly that it needed to be a knucklehead like me to stand up for this. And yeah, so First Liberty Institute took it on, and then we had a whole slew of guys. Um, the, the Clement, uh, Paul Clement, he's been in, in front of the Supreme Court more than any other living um, lawyer. Uh, we had Gibson and Dunn. We had a couple lo lo local lawyers uh, that really stood by my side and been, they're just friends now. They're not just lawyers. These guys are lifelong friends that we're going to be together and laugh about all this and, and cry about this over the next, uh, I don't know, however God has us here, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Well, and I mean, what, what was the name of the case? Uh, Kennedy versus Bremerton School District. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty special. <laughs> it's pretty special to, it's so to have weird, your name you know? in the U.S. Supreme Court <laughs> as the as the victor, the winner of that uh, case, too. It's just really, really a neat need opportunity for you in your opinion what is it what does winning this case mean really for the future of america for the future of free speech in america that's the beauty of it it, it lets us know that the first amendment is live and well and the the supreme court when they when they wrote their opinion they said it so perfectly that the first amendment is to complement each other everybody thinks that it's opposing of the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion and people wanted to put that barrier up that those are not to cross. And they so eloquently said that they complement each other. So the freedoms that we have can be expressed if it's in prayer, about head, verbally or not. They actually said what everybody's assumed for so many years. And you think over the last 50 years, there's been, I think, 7,000 cases that have been ruled on um, the lemming case, which I had no idea what it was, but it, it totally dissolved the lemming case and it it freed up all Americans to exercise their faith no matter where they're at. And that's a that's a lot of people that work for school districts. You think about just our school district alone. You know, we have employed a thousand people. 
Now you times that by every school and every state all over the country. And not just that, not at the local level, but at the federal level, because the, the 12th, uh, 12th Circuit Court of Appeals, when they made the ruling, they made it illegal for anybody to show any, any demonstrative of signs of faith could get you fired. And that's what the precedent was. That, that's horrible. That, imagine that a lady, a lunch lady couldn't wear her, her cross uh, ear, earrings. Uh, a Jewish person couldn't wear a yarmulke. Um, you couldn't wear a headdress if you were, you know, um, you know, a sheikh or whatever. What name a religion? Any display of that could have gotten them fired. And this just absolutely opened the door and let God walk right back into the schools. And is is the First Amendment is just so important because if you lose the First uh, Amendment in the Bill of Rights, the rest of them will fall right afterwards. Yeah. Well, listen, Joe, what what would you say to others who might be kind of in a in a similar situation, their freedom of speech being threatened? What what would you tell them to, you know, keep the faith, step up? What what would be your message? Yeah. Well, number one, I, and I've been saying this a lot, that uh, being an American and being a Christian is not a spectator sport. You need to be involved with it. And if you're just going to sit on your butt behind your TVs and sit there and complain about the news and not do anything about it, we're pro- that's part of the problem. So we need to get off our butts and actually play in the game. And I will stand with anybody. I don't care who you are. You are not alone. We are the majority of the country. So why not all band together and stand up for each other? Because I, I sure as heck will stand up for anybody. And if you need help, call a lawyer. Know what your rights are. Get familiar with it. Our schools don't teach even what the Constitution says anymore, when it was invented, why it was made, why those words are so important. They don't even know what that is. So we need to educate our youth and we need to be involved in our churches and in politics. Everybody thinks that there's that separation, but there's not. If you're not talking about this at church, you're doing yourself an injustice. And if you're not talking and running for politics and standing up and voting for what's right, then we're part of the problem. So we need to get off our butts and do something about it. Now, you've written a book. Uh, I love the title, by the way. Average Joe is the name of your book. I love that. What do you hope readers will take away from it? And by the way, where can folks find that book if they want to buy it? Right now, they can find it on Amazon. It's on pre-sale right now. Uh, it's the Average Joe, the Coach Kennedy story. And it very much is the Average Joe. You can't get him any more boring than my, than me, <laughs> if, if you ask me. But it really is a great love story. And I hate to sound cheesy and mushy, but that's what it is. It shows the love of uh, my country, the love that I have for my wife, the love I have for my God. And all Americans and just the passion that, you know, after you watch a Rocky movie, you feel all pumped up. And you, I'm going to go do something. You know, I have to take on the world. Bring on, you know, Mr. T. I, I'll take him on. I mean, you I want people to be empowered and feel just if if this guy, if this high school football coach can do this, imagine what we could do and hopefully band everybody together and inspire people to do what's right. I love the way you described it. You know, the, the books, the title is awesome, Average Joe, but the way you describe it as a love story. 
um, love of your your wife and your family, your uh, your country and your God. How awesome is that? That that's just great. How does it feel to be a, a football coach again at the same school that this all started at? Really weird. I wish I, I, I need to go into look into um, some books and find a better word, but I have no other word than just it is weird. Yeah. Uh, everything has changed uh, with the football program. We got an outstanding head coach and the coaches that are there are just incredible. They love the kids. So the program's doing really well. So me stepping into it it's been a little nerve wracking and there's been tensions everywhere, but at least the kids have been great. The, the, the coaches have been spectacular. I wish I could say the school district has been, they're trying to play it off. Like, Oh, this has been an eight year distraction. And you know, Kennedy did this and Kennedy did that. And it's, you guys did the wrong thing. Look at the ruling and they had to pay out the butt for this and they didn't learn anything from it, which is really sad. And so I'm hoping the school district can finally embrace this and be have a teaching moment for our kids and for everybody in our community that, hey, this is the way that the court ruled. So let's embrace it and welcome me back to the program. And this first game should be absolutely crazy and, and awesome. We should have the biggest turnout in years in, in for this for this football game. And I hope the school really appreciates that this many people are are concerned about what it means to be an American and are showing their their support by actually showing up and and being part of this this story. Yeah, and I mean the the school district has lawyers, those lawyers went to law school, presumably there they learned about uh the the process that we have, the constitution, the first amendment and the fact that the Supreme Court ruled and they lost. And so they shouldn't be grudgingly, you know, giving you your job back and all of that. They should embrace this. They should look at it and say, hey, the Supreme Court ruled. This is freedom of speech. This is freedom of religion. It's uh, the, the First Amendment is a wonderful thing. And that's the way the school ought to react or the school district ought to react to this. If they're not, they the, then the lawyers ought to maybe rethink uh, their approach to this and and, and how they're how they're thinking about it. Um, I, again, I mean, Joe, you're just, you're a hero for, for doing this. And I know I had a question here that I was going to ask you, but I already know the answer. Like if you had to do all of this again and you were back at the beginning, would you do it all again? And, and I already know the answer, but go ahead yeah. and tell me the answer. Yeah, absolutely. I, there wouldn't even be uh, the first thought of it. It would just be an automatic thing. And I would never wish this upon my worst enemy, and I would never want to go through this again. So I hope nobody ever, hopefully this settled a lot of things and nobody will have to do this. And they could revert back to, or, you know, use this case as saying, hey, I'm protected because of this. Yeah. But absolutely, I, I would have to go through this again. There's there's no other way, if you don't stand up, then we're just going to get knocked down. And that's not the way I am. And that's not the way that Americans should be. So I would absolutely stand up again. Well, the way that uh, the way this system works is there's lawyers at school districts all across America right now who look at your case and uh, that's going to guide their their direction. That's going to guide what they do, what policies they put in place. And you probably prevented other school districts from infringing upon the First Amendment rights 
of of coaches and teachers and others all around America by taking this action and and taking this this case to court and getting the ruling that you got out of the Supreme Court. I would hope that as those other school districts around the country and the lawyers at those districts understand what happened and that this is the ruling of the U.S. Supreme Court and this is the First Amendment and how it applies, I'd hope that the lawyers at your school district maybe stop and think about that as well and think, well, gee, that we should celebrate this as a victory for free speech rather than trying to be punitive in the way that we the way that we approach this or be grudging about it. Uh, they lost. You move on. You respect the rule of law. And the rule of law is the First Amendment, Joe. So, you know, God bless you for, for all that you all that you're doing. Thank you so much. It now, is, you're, how about your wife? Is, she, <laughs> is, is, is your wife? Is she she's on board? I mean, at, through all of this, I know it was tough on her. But I mean, looking back on it, does she see the great thing that you've done? Oh, yes. And and that's a great thing about uh, God is and if if you don't believe in God, then you're just not looking. I challenge anybody to take on God, try him out for a bit and see, prove him, prove him wrong. And that's that's the most incredible thing. My wife and I, we almost got a divorce over this. And it wasn't until I was actually walking out of the house and God just comes in with the right thing at the right time. The guys who did Facing the Giants sent a a video to me and my wife as I was walking out the door. So he waited till the exact last second. I don't like his timing all the time, but it's absolutely (laughs) perfect. And he's got a sense of humor to get me to do this and to have her go through all of this. But as soon as we got that video from the guys who did Facing the Giants, the, the Kendrick brothers, it was an instant healing and my wife's eyes were just opened up to this is really God doing this. This isn't just some stubborn bullheaded kid, you know, this Marine who just never gives up on a fight and has to stand up for it. He might not have all the good um, morals and standards and all those things, but I have principles. And she understood that this wasn't just me. This was something that was absolutely worth fighting for. And after that day, we've just been together and inseparable. It just, healed our marriage and we're together for life. If we can live through this, anybody can make it. So this is good. Well, listen, Joe, thanks for taking the slings and arrows for the rest of us. Uh, This was, this is a, this is a landmark case and uh, you were at the center of it and you were at the center of it because you agreed this case would not have happened if you didn't agree to be the plaintiff. You were the only person who could be the plaintiff uh, if you would have said no, we wouldn't be here today talking about this. And and more importantly, we wouldn't have had this affirmation of the First Amendment. So God bless you for doing that and for having the courage to rise up and do it. And thanks for joining us. Thank you, brother. You be blessed. All right. You too. And I don't think you're an average Joe, despite the name of your book. <laughs> I think you're, you're a well above average Joe. So uh, I really appreciate your Thank time. You. Yeah, you bet. Hey, listen. What a hero. I mean, for, to to see Joe go through this and to have him come on and tell his story, this is what this podcast is all about. People who 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 encounter the government uh, coming in and setting up a roadblock in front of them and saying, nope, I am going to push through it. And Joe did it for every single one of us as Americans. He's an American hero because he served in the Marine Corps, and he's an American hero because he took up this cause and he fought it. Thanks for listening. 
to American potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.